Chapter Seven of Annie Kilburn, a novel. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joanne. Annie Kilburn, a novel by William Dean Howells. Chapter Seven. Next morning the day broke clear after the long storm, and Annie woke in revolt against the sort of subjection in which she had parted from Mr. Peck. She felt the need of showing Mrs. Bolton that, although she had been civil to him, she had no sympathy with his ideas, but she could not think of any way to formulate her opposition, and all she could say in offense was, "'Does Mr. Peck usually forget his child when he starts home?' "'I don't know as he does,' answered Mrs. Bolton simply. "'He's rather of an absent-minded man.' and i suppose he's like any other men when he gets talking the child's clothes were disgracefully shabby said annie vexed that her attack had come to no more than this i presume said mrs bolton that if he kept more of his money for himself he could dress her better oh that's the way with these philanthropists said annie thinking of hollingsworth in the blithedale romance the only philanthropist whom she had really ever known they are always ready to sacrifice the happiness and comfort of any one to the general good. Mrs. Bolton stood a moment and then went out without replying, but she looked as offended as Annie could have wished. About ten o'clock the bell rang, and she came gloomily into the study and announced that Mrs. Munger was in the parlor. Annie had already heard an authoritative rustling of skirts, and she was instinctively prepared for the large, vigorous woman who turned upon her from the picture she had been looking at on the wall, and came toward her with the confident air of one sure they must be friends. Mrs. Munger was dressed in a dark, firm woolen stuff, which communicated its color, if not its material, to the matter-of-fact bonnet which she wore on her plainly dressed hair. In one of her hands, which were cased in driving gloves of somewhat insistent evidence, she carried a robust black silk sun-umbrella, and the effect of her dress otherwise might be summarized in the statement that where other women would have worn lace, she seemed to wear leather. She had not only leather gloves and a broad leather belt at her waist, but a leather collar. Her watch was secured by a leather cord passing round her neck, and the stubby tassel of her umbrella stick was leather. She might be said to be in harness. She had a large, handsome face, no longer fresh, but with an effect of exemplary cleanness, and a pair of large gray eyes that suggested the notion of being newly washed, and that now looked at Annie with the assumption of fully understanding her. "'Ah, Miss Kilburn,' she said, without any of the wanted preliminaries of introduction and greeting, "'I should have come long ago to see you, but I've been dispersed over the four quarters of the globe ever since you came, my dear. I got home last night on the nine o'clock train,' and the last agonies of that howling tempest. Did you ever know anything like it? I see your trees have escaped. I wonder they weren't torn to shreds. Annie took her on her own ground of ignoring their past non-acquaintance. Yes, it was awful. And your son? How did you leave him? Mr. Branworth? Oh, yes, poor little man. I found him waiting for me at home last night, and he told me he had been here. He was blowing about in the storm all day such a spirit there was nothing serious the matter the bridge of the nose was all right merely the cartilage pushed aside by the ball she had passed so lightly from mr brandreth's heroic spirit to her son's nose that annie woman as she was 
and born to these bold bounds over sequence, was not sure where they had arrived till Mrs. Munger added, "'Jim's used to these things. I'm thankful it wasn't a finger or an eye.' "'What is that?' she jumped up from her chair and swooped upon the Spanish-Roman watercolor Annie had stood against some books on the table, pending its final disposition. "'It's only a gara,' said Annie. "'My things are all scattered about still. I have scarcely tried to get into shape yet.' Mrs. Munger would not let her interpose any idea of there being a pass between them. She merely said, "'You knew the Herricks at Rome, of course.' "'I'm in hopes I shall get them here when they come back. I want you to help me colonize Hatboro with the right sort of people. It's so easy to get the wrong sort. But so far I think we've succeeded beyond our wildest dreams. It's easy enough to get nice people together at the seaside. But inland? No, it's only a very few nice people who will come into the country for the summer, and we propose to make Hatboro a winter colony, too. That gives us agreeable invalids, you know. It gave us the Brandreths. He told you of our projected theatricals, I suppose? Yes, said Annie noncommittally. He did. I know just how you feel about it, my dear, said Mrs. Munger. Been there myself, as Jim says but it grows upon you. I'm glad you didn't refuse outright, and Mrs. Munger looked at her with eyes of large expectance. No, I didn't, said Annie, obliged by this expectance to say something. But to tell you the truth, Mrs. Munger, I don't see how I'm to be of any use to you or to Mr. Brandreth. Oh, take a cab and go about, like Boots and Brewer, you know, for the Venerings. She said this as if she knew about the humor rather than felt it. We are placing all our hopes of bringing round the old Hatborians in you. I'm afraid you're mistaken about my influence, said Annie. Mr. Branworth spoke of it, and I had an opportunity of trying it last night, and seeing just what it amounted to. Yes, Mrs. Munger prompted with an increase of expectance in her large clear eyes, and of impartiality in her whole face. Mr. Peck was here, said Annie reluctantly, and I tried it on him. "'Yes,' repeated Mrs. Munger, as immutably as if she were sitting for her photograph and keeping the expression. Annie broke from her reluctance with a sort of violence which carried her further than she would have gone otherwise. She ridiculed Mr. Peck's appearance and manner, and laughed at his ideas to Mrs. Munger. She had not a good conscience in it, but the perverse impulse persisted in her. There seemed no other way in which she could assert herself against him. Mrs. Munger listened judicially, but she seemed to take in only what Mr. Peck had thought of the dance and supper. At the end she said, rather vacantly, "'What nonsense!' "'Yes, but I'm afraid he thinks it's wisdom, and for all practical purposes it amounts to that. You see what my influence has done at the outset, Mrs. Munger? He'll never give way on such a point.' "'Oh, very well, then,' said Mrs. Munger, with the utmost lightness and indifference. We'll drop the idea of the invited supper and dance. Do you think that would be well? asked Annie. Yes, why not? It's only an idea. I don't think you've made it all a bad beginning. It was very well to try the idea on someone who would be frank about it and wouldn't go away and talk against it, said Mrs. Munger, rising. I want you to come with me, my dear. To see Mr. Peck? Excuse me, I don't think I could, said Annie. "'No, to see some of his parishioners,' said Mrs. Munger, "'his deacons, to begin with, or his deacons' wives.' 
this seemed so much less than calling on mr peck that annie looked out at mrs munger's basket phaeton at her gate and knew that she would go with very little more urgence after all you know you're not one of his congregation he may yield to them said mrs munger we must have him if only because he's hard to get it'll give us an idea of what we've got to contend with it had a very practical sound it was really like meeting the difficulties on their own ground and it overcame the question of taste which was rising in annie's mind she demurred a little more upon the theory of her uselessness but mrs munger insisted and carried her off down the village street the air sparkled full of sun and a breeze from the southwest frolicked with the twinkling leaves of the overarching elms and made their shadows dance on the crisp roadway packed hard by the rain and faced with clean sand which crackled pleasantly under mrs munger's phaeton wheels she talked incessantly i think we'll go first to mrs gerrish's and then to mrs wilmington's you know them oh yes they were old girlfriends then you know why i go to mrs gerrish's first she'll care a great deal and mrs wilmington won't care at all she's a delicious creature mrs wilmington don't you think that large indolent nature mr brandreth says she makes him think of the land in which it seems always afternoon annie remembered lyra goodman as a long lazy red-haired girl who laughed easily and she could not readily realize her in the character of a titanesque beauty with a gift for humorous dramatics which she had filled out into during the years of her absence from hatboro but she said oh yes in the necessity of polite acquiescence and mrs munger went on talking she's the only one of the old hatboro people so far as i know them who has any breadth of view whoa she pulled up suddenly beside a stout short lady in a fashionable walking dress who was pushing an elegant perambulator with one hand and shielding her complexion with a crimson sun umbrella in the other mrs gerrish mrs munger called and mrs gerrish who had already looked around at the approaching phaeton and then looked away so as not to have seemed to look stopped abruptly and after some exploration of the vicinity discovered where the voice came from oh mrs munger she called back bridling with pleasure at being greeted in that way by the chief lady of south hatboro and struggling to keep up a dignified indifference at the same time why annie she added good morning emmeline said annie she annexed some irrelevancies about the weather which mrs munger swept away with business-like robustness we were driving down to your house to find you i want to see the principal ladies of your church and talk with them about our social union you've heard about it well nothing very particular said mrs gerrish she had probably heard nothing at all after a moment she asked have you seen mrs wilmington yet no i haven't cried mrs munger the fact is i wanted to talk it over with you and mr gerrish first oh said mrs gerrish brightening well i was just going right there i guess he's in well we shall meet there then sorry i can't offer you a seat but there's nothing but the rumble and that wouldn't hold you all mrs munger called this back after starting her pony mrs gerrish did not understand and screamed what mrs munger repeated her joke at the top of her voice oh i can walk mrs gerrish yelled at the top of hers both the ladies laughed at their repartee 
"'She's as jealous of Mrs. Wilmington as a cat,' Mrs. Munger confided to Annie as they drove away. "'And she's just as pleased as Punch that I've spoken to her first. "'Mrs. Wilmington won't mind. "'She's so delightfully indifferent. "'It really renders her almost superior. "'You might forget that she was a village person. "'But this has been an immense stroke. "'I don't know,' she mused, "'whether I'd better let her get there first "'and prepare her husband or do it myself. "'No, I'll let her. "'I'll stop here at Gates.' She stopped at the pavement in front of a provision store, and a pale, stout man, in the long overshirt of his business, came out to receive her orders. He stood, passing his hand through the top of a barrel of beans, and listened to Mrs. Munger, with a humorous, patient smile. "'Mr. Gates, I want you to send me up a leg of lamb for dinner. A large one.' "'Last year's, then,' suggested Gates. "'No, this year's,' insisted Mrs. Munger and Gates gave way with the air of pacifying a willful child, which would get, after all, only what he chose to allow it. "'All right, ma'am, a large leg of this year's lamb, grown to order. Any peas, spinach, cucumbers, sparrowgrass?' "'Southern, I suppose,' said Mrs. Munger. "'Well, not if you want to call em native,' said Gates. "'Yes, I'll take two bunches of asparagus and some peas.' "'Any strawberries? Natives?' suggested Gates. "'Nonsense!' "'Same thing. Natives of Norfolk.' "'You had better be honest with me, Mr. Gates,' said Mrs. Munger. "'Yes, I'll take a couple of boxes.' "'All right. Want them nice, and the biggest ones at the bottom of the box?' "'Yes, I do. That's what I thought.' Some customers wants the big ones on top, but I tell em it's all foolishness, just vanity. Gates laughed a dry, hacking little laugh at his drollery and kept his eyes on Annie. She smiled at last with permissive recognition, and Gates came forward. Used to know your father pretty well, but it can't keep up with the young folks any more. He was really not many years older than Annie. He rubbed his right hand on the inside of his long shirt, and gave it to her to shake. "'Well, you haven't been about much for the last nine or ten years, that's a fact.' Eleven, said Annie, trying to be gay with the handshaking, and wondering if this were meeting the lower classes on common ground, and what Mr. Peck would think of it. "'That's so,' queried Gates. "'Well, I declare, no wonder you've grown.' He hacked out another laugh and stood on the curbstone looking at Annie a moment. Then he asked, "'Anything else, Mrs. Munger?' "'No, that's all.' "'Tell me, Mr. Gates, how do Mr. Peck and Mr. Garrish get on?' asked Mrs. Munger in a lower tone. "'Well,' said Gates, "'he's working round, the deacon's working round, gradually, I guess. I guess if Mr. Peck was to put in a little more brimstone, the deacon'd be all right.' He's a great hand for brimstone, you know, the deacon is. Mrs. Munger laughed again, and then she said, with a proselyting sigh, It's a pity you couldn't all find your way into the church. Well, maybe it would be a good thing, said Gates, and Mrs. Munger gathered up her reins and chirped to her pony. He isn't a member of Mr. Peck's church, she explained to Annie, but he's one of the society, and his wife's very devout orthodox. He's a great character, we think, and he'll treat you very well, if you keep on the right side of him. They say he cheats awfully in the weight, though. 
End of chapter 7